Amen. Well, good to see your faces this morning. Uh, and as I look around at faces, you know, some of you newer in our church family, others of you have been around for some time, but without, without exception, the only people I've known here longer than 10 years, uh, I feel like I've known a lot of you a long time, but the only people I've known longer than 10 years are, are my own family. Uh, the rest of you, uh, for some of you, like your kids, and I've known you your whole life. Uh, for others of you, you're like, you're older than 10, uh, and so I haven't known you your whole life, and, and we kind of miss out. When we don't know people for a long time, we miss out on their history, and we all know that uh, what happened in our past has a lot to say about who we are in the present. That's why when I get together with a lot of people, I love to hear stories about what happened before I knew them, because I know that our past certainly shapes our present. When you think about your own personal past, perhaps what comes to mind first and foremost for you is you just think about all of God's gracious provision. Just tons of memories flood your brain with all of the times throughout your life's history that God has provided for you and been merciful to you. Others of you, so, so I mean, you might think, you know, like, man, a good spouse, a good home, a good job, uh, good kids, whatever it might be. God's given you so many good gifts. Others of you, though, too, when you start thinking about your past, there's other things that pop into your mind that maybe you'd rather forget. Maybe in your past, there's sin that still causes shame. Maybe in your past, you experienced suffering that has had lasting damage on you and on your family and on your relationships. Maybe in your past, you have experiences that just seem insignificant. Like you can look back at like a whole season of your life and you still like, you know, like God has a reason for all these, but like you look back and you still like, I don't get that. Like I don't get why that whole thing had to happen in my past. It just, I don't see what God has been teaching me through it. It seems maybe insignificant. When we left off in Acts chapter 21 last week, Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem, and the loud crowd around him wanted him to be taken away or even dead. And so today we pick it up at the end of Acts chapter 21 and go through most of chapter 22. And most of what we're going to look at today is the Apostle Paul looking back at his past. Just for context, maybe it's helpful to know this, this part that's happening here, he's going to share his testimony. We originally read about that in Acts chapter 9, and the, period, the amount of time that's elapsed from when Paul, the events that Paul's going to talk about here, and the time that, uh, that he's, he's sharing his testimony, it's about a 25-year gap. Does that make sense? So there's been about 25 years since God saved Paul until Paul is now sharing his testimony, uh, which we'll read in the account that we read today. Here's what I think will become clear to us as we look at this. God's provision in our past has prepared us for participation in his present and future purposes. Okay? God's provision in our past has prepared us for participation in his present and future purposes. 
So if you have a Bible, we're looking at today at Acts 21. I want you to listen in as we read this. So, so a lot of times as I walk through the sermon, I'm going to go back and read pretty much every section again. I'm not going to do that today. The only time you're going to hear all of these words is right now, and then I will certainly go back and not miss any parts, but I'm not going to read all of these verses again. So, so be tuned in as we stand, if you're able, and read God's Word from Acts 21, starting in verse 37. We need help, so let's pray. Father, I need help. Uh, I need help for my, my voice to remain clear, for my, my thoughts to remain clear, but, but ultimately, God, we need help from your Holy Spirit. I don't, want, I don't want just my voice to be heard. I want us to hear your voice. And I thank you that you are a God who has chosen to reveal yourself to us in your word. Help us to see you clearly, to see our world clearly, to see ourselves clearly as your Holy Spirit works in us through the reading and preaching of your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 21, verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet, and he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. For them, from them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground. And heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see, because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. 
For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum, but Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. You can be seated. Two points to walk us through the text, and then two points of application that God might do a work in our hearts through his word today. They're in your sermon notes page along with your life group guide there, and the first point is this. God's provision in Paul's past. We're going to see over and over again in this passage today how God had provided throughout Paul's personal past so that he is prepared now for God's present purposes. I, I'm, I, I put a sermon together on a week after I had a cold and I'm doing all too much spitting uh, because there's too many peas in it. Um, so thankfully, uh, nobody's sitting right here right now. Don't touch the pulpit afterwards. God's provision of language learning gives Paul a platform. Did you hear that as I was reading the beginning of this passage? He got the attention of the tribune who had arrested him by his language learning of Greek. He asked him, do you know Greek in verse 37, which Paul does. He knows Greek and so gets the attention of the Roman tribune. Then he gets accused in verse 38 of being an Egyptian terrorist uh, and and then clears that up uh, quickly there in verse 38 into verse 39. And then he asks for permission. He says, I beg you in verse 39, permit me to speak to the people. And he is given permission. So who are the people? Recall from last week that the people are the people who are crying out, away with him. These are the people that want to see Paul dead. They have come to Jerusalem. The Jews from Asia come to Jerusalem to stir up the crowd, 
throwing accusations at him. They want to see Paul dead. And Paul now asks the tribune who has arrested him, can, can I talk to them? And he gives them permission. Right? So he's got permission now to speak to these people. A great hush comes upon the audience, and even more so when they find that Paul is speaking to them in a Hebrew language or a Hebrew dialect, most likely Aramaic. This was the language that the Hebrew or Jewish people spoke around that time. And so Paul is speaking to them in their language. So he got kind of some credibility with the tribune by speaking Greek, and now he can also speak Aramaic. So he's speaking to the people, and they listen because he's speaking their language quite literally. So God's provision of language learning gives Paul a platform. Okay, so that's one thing God had provided for Paul, that is allowing him to do ministry right now in the present. But then if we look ahead at verses 3 to 5, we see how God's provision of a Jewish background and training and zeal gives Paul credibility. If you want an audience with somebody, you want somebody to pay attention to what you're saying, usually you have to figure out a way to connect with the audience. Right? Even just in a normal conversation, if you're not addressing a big crowd, even in a normal conversation. Like most of the time when I'm talking to a farmer, though I am not a farmer, I usually you know, sneak in the conversation somewhere that, well, my wife grew up on a farm and so did my dad. So it's like we've got a connection, right? I can talk farming with you because of that. Or when I talk to a teacher, I sometimes like to you know, drop in there that that's what my training, I was going to be a teacher, Right? Or when I talk to a Minnesotan, I like to let them know I came from Minnesota too, don't you know, right? Like, I can talk like them. I can, I can do that. Well, here in verses 3 to 5, Paul is sharing his Jewish background and his Jewish training and his Jewish zeal with a crowd that is Jewish, right? So, so it makes sense. So he's making clear to them, listen, I'm a Jew, that's the first thing he says to them. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia. So he wasn't from there where they're at, but he also mentions, I was brought up in this city. And then, then it, this is like really kind of name dropping, right? Educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Okay, so Gamaliel is this expert in the law who taught Pharisees like Paul also be experts in Jewish law. So, so Jewish people generally knew the law really well, but then there's this whole other level, the Pharisees, and Paul was one of them. He was trained by Gamaliel. So you want some street cred there in Jerusalem, you go ahead and let them know, I'm a Jew, I was raised in this city, and I was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, and then, remember, these people are zealous. Paul has been arrested, and they've stirred up a whole crowd because they want Paul to be killed. Why? Because of his faith in Jesus. Well, Paul knows how to connect with these guys. He used to be one of them, right? So he shares in his past, his sinful past, right, where, where he's saying, listen, I used to be just like you. He even says uh, in verse, where is it? Verse, at the end of verse 3, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Isn't that a kind way to talk to these people that want to see him killed? First, he addresses them respectfully as brothers and fathers, fellow Jews, right? So, so these people want to see him killed, yet he talks to them respectfully, brothers and fathers. And then he's like, you know, I was zealous for God, just like you are. 
I mean, he's, he's seeking to affirm them or something in you know, like making a connection with them, right? Zealous for God. And it was actually in the midst of that zealousness, in the midst of him persecuting Christians on the way to Damascus to go get some more and bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished, that God met him. In fact, he had an encounter with Jesus. So that's the next thing that God provided in Paul's past. God provided an encounter with Jesus, verses 6 through 11. And so we already read this story in Acts chapter 9. Now, this is the first time we're hearing it from Paul's own lips. Paul is sharing his own testimony of his encounter with Jesus. Now, Paul didn't actually get to see Jesus. Paul saw a great light, and Paul heard the voice of Jesus, right? And he was telling him that it was Jesus he was persecuting, and Jesus told him to go to Damascus. It was clear that from this point on, Paul's life would not be the same. Paul hadn't gone out seeking Jesus. Paul went out seeking people who followed Jesus that they might be punished. But Jesus came and found Paul. That's why I love that song we sing, Jesus Strong and Kind. Like, uh, you know, Jesus said that if I'm lost, he will come to me, right? That's good news. This was a life-altering experience for Paul, but he still needed to hear the gospel. And so God, Jesus, had sent him to a man named Ananias. And then in verses 12 to 16, Paul recounts that part of his past, how he met with Ananias. Look at verses 12 to 16 there in chapter 22. Ananias, again, kind of doing some name-dropping, he was a respectable Jewish man, a devout man, Paul says, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, and he came to Paul. Paul is recounting, or again, this is, this is just, just to kind of get a picture of age, Paul was probably converted in his mid-20s somewhere, and so now he's in his early 50s, okay? So he's recounting events that had happened about 25 or so years earlier right now. And he's telling about the time where he met this man, this devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews, this man named Ananias. And Paul receives his sight back, and Ananias tells him that Jesus is the righteous one, the Christ, the anointed one, right? And then he lets Paul know, like, okay, now that you believe, like, you, here's how you respond. This is how your faith is displayed. Verse 16, and now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Romans 10.13, Paul would write, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Being saved means our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. And he washed it white as snow. Wasn't it nice to have a little coat on top of all that dirtiness today of just white, pure Snow, washed it white as snow. Paul certainly had a shady past, a sinful past, a shameful past. Yet, in trusting in Christ, the righteous one, all of his sin washed away. And the right response to that, a display of that, is that he should be baptized. Right? Saved people should be baptized. So God has provided salvation to Paul who turned from persecuting Jesus to trusting Jesus. 
And then there's one more section of Paul's past, Paul's testimony that he has to share, and that's in verses 17 to 21. God also provided a calling. This took place in the temple. Okay, so again, the Jewish audience is going to pay attention. Wait, so, so something happened in the temple. That's important to them. They're going to be listening up to this. Verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, and he tells them what Jesus told him while he was in that trance, that Paul was going to be a missionary going away to reach the far away, to reach the Gentiles. That's what he spent the last 25 years doing, right? Being a missionary to the Gentiles, 13, you know, I mean, sorry, started in chapter 13, three missionary journeys 25 years later, this is what Paul has spent his life doing. But did you notice the last word in Paul's testimony about his past there in verse 21? And he said to me, go. So, so all this time, this crowd that wanted to see Paul dead, they're listening to Paul. They're hearing, like a lot of people, even if they're against you and they're against Jesus, still will be willing to listen to and hear your story. Paul's telling his story, making all sorts of connections with the audience, and they're listening. And then did you notice this word that he shared that turns everything around? What's the last thing he says? And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And what are the next words that Luke writes? Up to this word, they listened to him. Up to this word, they listened to him. So, second point is this. God's protection in the present and preparation for future ministry. Up to this word, they listened to him, says verse 22. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Right? They're not saying, go back to Tarsus. They're not saying, we should put this man in prison for a bit. They're saying, this man shouldn't be allowed to live. The crowd has quickly turned back on Paul. They, they gave him their ears for a moment. But it's time again for the crowd to turn on Paul. And imagine this scene, verse 23. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. Like, that, that's not something we normally do when we're angry. Maybe you do. I don't know. Fling dust into the air. Right? But, but this, is, this, this is what they would do in their culture. The, these acts that would show anger and condemnation. Right? Flinging dust up in the air throwing off their cloaks and shouting. So you imagine this, this mob surrounding Paul. He had just shared God's provision in his past, and, and now this is how the crowd reacts. Away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. Well, what's going to happen to Paul? Look at verse 24. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks. Okay, ooh. He gets rescued by the Romans, right? He, rather than being killed immediately on the spot by the crowd, the angry mob, he's protected as the tribune says, let's bring him into the barracks. Now, it's not going to go well for Paul there either, just so you know. 
It's not like, hey, here's a nice prison for you to hang out. Listen to what's going to happen. This is not, thankfully, the way we do it in our country, but this is the way it was done in the Roman Empire with people who weren't Roman citizens. Look at this. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. And when they had stretched him out for the whips, do you see what they're doing? It's backwards. We have this this innocent until proven guilty. They don't have that. They have, we don't know what's going on. Arrest him. We want him to tell us what's going on. Whip him. Right? They stretch him out for the whips. They're going to figure out what's going on by flogging the guy that's being accused by the angry mob. We're going to whip him until he tells us what's happening. That's the plan. So, talk about being between a rock and a hard place. Does Paul want the tribune to let him go and let the angry mob have at him? Or does he want to go and and be whipped until he tells them what they want to hear? That's where Paul's at. It's a scary scene. Interrogation by torture. Look what happens at the end of verse 25. Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? I wonder if Paul's voice was shaking when he's saying that. Stretched out for the whips. Is it lawful for you to flog a a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Obviously, I think Paul knows that it's not. But what they don't know is that Paul is a Roman citizen. Well, this causes them to put on the brakes really quick. When the centurion heard that this man is a Roman citizen, when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? This man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. That's one way you could become a citizen. You're rich and you could buy your citizenship. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. Now, now most Jews in that day were not Roman citizens by birth. We don't know exactly. There's some different guesses as to how Paul became a citizen by birth. But regardless, God had provided clearly in Paul's past in giving him a Roman citizenship from birth that at this moment protects him from torture. And so Paul chooses at this moment to reveal this truth, that he is a Roman citizen, which causes them there, it says in verse 29, to back off. They're afraid now, rather than ready to whip him, they're afraid that they had bound him. Maybe an interesting thing to note is last week, I kind of made a big deal of this last week, that Paul had chosen to relinquish his rights for the sake of unity in the church and the advance of the gospel, right? We talked about how sometimes it is right for us to relinquish our rights for the sake of unity in the church and advance of the gospel. What is Paul doing here, though? He's actually claiming his rights, isn't he? Right? Now, all of a sudden, Paul being threatened by either death by an angry mob or whipping and torture by the Romans, is revealing his citizenship citizenship as a Roman, claiming his right. Okay, so are we supposed to relinquish our rights? Are we supposed to like stand up and claim our rights? Which one is it? 
Well, I think we need God's wisdom in that. I think one thing that's helpful to notice is this. I think the reason that Paul, earlier in chapter 1, relinquished his rights and here claims his rights is actually for the same reason. For the sake of the gospel continuing to go forward. Sometimes we need to relinquish our rights for the sake of the gospel continuing to go forward. And here, Paul, between a rock and a hard place, recognizes I need to claim my rights in order for me to live to see another day and see the gospel to continue to advance. And I think we're going to see as we walk through the rest of the book as well, God's not only going to use Paul's Roman citizenship to protect him in this moment, but also to prepare him for God's future purposes where Paul will eventually be sent to Rome. So, summarizing this, don't you, don't you love this? Don't you love how God provides in Paul's past to prepare him for participation in his purposes in the present and future? What did we see? God provided Paul with a skill in speaking multiple languages to give him a platform. What else did we see? God provided Paul with a Jewish background and educational training that gave him credibility. What else did we see? God provided Paul with an encounter with Jesus that led to his salvation and calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And then God, way back before, I mean, he had nothing to do with this. He was a Roman citizen by birth. God had provided Paul with a Roman citizenship that sure came in handy on this day to protect him from death by the mob or torture by the tribune in the present and is setting him up for ministry in the future. I like this passage. And I think there's application for us in it. Here's a question. How can God's past provision in my life be used to accomplish His purposes in the present? Let me ask that again. How can, God, how can God's past provision in my life be used to accomplish His purposes in the present? Do you ever look at your past and wonder what God's plan is? Like maybe, maybe you look around and you see other people, and you talk about like being used by God for His purposes, you're like, I, I can see how God could use that girl and that woman and that man and that, like I can see how God could use all of them. I mean, look at the family they came from, look at the education they got, look at all this stuff, I don't have any of that. How could God use me for His kingdom? Maybe you look back at your sin. You look back at your life and like maybe you're looking better now and not everybody around you knows about the shameful sin in your past, but you still know and it paralyzes you. You haven't stepped forward to take part and to participate in God's present purposes because you're still paralyzed by shame from sin in your past. Maybe you look back at your family background or your educational background and those things just don't seem very useful or significant. Like what's God ever going to do with a person who never even went to college? Or maybe with a person who went to college and got a worthless degree. Right? What, what's God going to do with a person from a broken family? Man, my past is a mess. 
What's God going to do with a single person? What's God going to do with a divorced person? What's God going to do with an abused person? What's God going to do with an addicted person? What's God going to do with a depressed person, an old person, a frail person, a quiet person? We can make all sorts of excuses. Looking back and not seeing God's provision in the past, but looking back and saying, man, my past, I think, is, is what's preventing me from being used by God in the present. Paul certainly could have been paralyzed by shame over sin in his past, right? Paul certainly could have counted himself as a traitor as a Jew because he was a Roman citizen. Paul certainly could have used his calling to Gentiles to just ignore his fellow Jews. But what we see in this passage that we looked at today is that God in his providence chose to use everything in Paul's past, Paul's family background, Paul's education, Paul's sin, Paul's conversion, Paul's calling to be all of that. That was part of God's provision in Paul's past, and I have no doubt. Listen, I have no doubt that in God's providence, providence, He can use everything in your past. Your family background, your education, your sin your conversion, your calling, all of that to be a part of your testimony. One thing I love about this passage is I love how as Paul shared his testimony, the crowd that had been so antagonistic towards him was suddenly quiet because they were willing to listen. You know, a lot of people, they're not going to like, tune in to watch YouTube sermons from the Iowa Falls Evangelical Preachers. Some people do. Praise God. There's a lot of people that you work with and a lot of people in this community, they're never going to like just be searching on YouTube like, hey, maybe, maybe we could listen to a sermon uh, from the Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church. Not a lot of people doing that. A lot of people, if I told them, they're like, hey, I've got a sermon. You want to hear it? No. <laughs> They'd maybe politely, 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 politely decline. Right? But not a lot of people who know you would shut you down immediately if you were willing to tell your story to them. Right? The, the good and the bad. The, the, the hard parts, the ugly parts. So do you share your life, your testimony is the word we often use in Christian circles. Do you share your story of God's past provision with others? Most people will listen to you. So one of the things in the life group guide for this week is just practice. If you're not in a life group, find somebody else to practice with in your own family or whatever. Like, hey, I just need to learn to share my story. A little outline in your, in your life group guide, just an encouragement. Like, hey, uh, I'm not really done this. I'm not really a transparent, open kind of person. Like, just, just try it out. Practice. Let me tell you this. Don't allow the enemy to feed you the lie that your past prevents you from participating in God's present purposes. That's a lie that the enemy would love for you to believe. That your past prevents you from participating in God's present purposes. What I want you to believe instead is the truth that God has provided for you in such a way that your past has actually prepared you to participate in God's present purposes. 
Paul was confident that God had redeemed him and would use his past to accomplish his present purposes. Our memory verse for this week comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There we read this. Paul was writing this, and he knew of his unworthiness. Listen to what he said. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Right? Paul knows his past. But listen to what he says that right after that. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Memorize that part this week. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. Have you received God's grace toward you? It's available to anybody. The truth that Jesus, the righteous one, died in our place for our sin, carrying all of our sin and shame on himself so that we could be freed from slavery to sin, no longer bearing the punishment. Jesus really did pay it all. If you, if you hear that, that's a message that requires a response. That's what Ananias told Paul. He asked Paul, and why now do you wait? And I would ask you the same question. You've not yet turned your life over to Jesus, looking at your past and you're feeling all paralyzed. Listen, why now do you wait? Rise up. Be baptized. Your sins washed away. Calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. If your desire is to call on His name for salvation or if you have called on His name for salvation and you've not been baptized, I'd love to talk to you more about that either yet this morning or sometime this week. Be in contact with me. And I want to just close with a reminder that God can save anyone. Like you too, right? Not just save anyone, but use anyone. Like you too, Right? Paul shared his testimony pretty clearly in story form here, but he refers to it many other times. And I want to close today. It'll be on the screen. I'm just going to read it without much comment, maybe without any. I'm going to do without any because God's Word is powerful. You don't need to hear more from me. I'm just going to read God's Word, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. When Paul was writing to a young disciple named Timothy. Paul was like a spiritual father to, to Timothy. And here's what Paul said to Timothy. Listen to the humility that you hear from Paul as he recognizes who he is before God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. Paul wrote this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me 
with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we were formerly lots of things. First and foremost, we were sinners, living in ignorance and unbelief. Sinners who deserved not your mercy, but your wrath. But you are a God of mercy and grace who loved us by sending your son Jesus to die for us while we were yet sinners. Thank you for sending your son into the world to die for sinners like me. Sinners like us. Save those who are still in their sin. And for those of us who have been rescued from our hell-bound race, would you help us to gladly sing out the truth that all we have is Christ, that Jesus is our life. In his name we pray, amen. Go ahead and stand and sing.